Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sean's Wildlife. We are churning them out now. I hope you're enjoying them. Uh, I certainly am speaking to lots of very interesting individuals and tonight is no exception. Um, I am speaking today to Lucy Groves, who is the project officer for the UK White Stork Project. Now you might ask, what's a white stork and why do they have a project all to themselves? But Lucy is going to tell us all about it, aren't you Lucy? I am, yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's it's great to uh, to chat. It's a really really exciting project. I think you'll agree, won't you? Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me. But yeah, it's fantastic to be able to talk to the project. And yeah, I've been chatting to so many people over the last couple of weeks. It's been great. I'd say you're probably worn out at this stage, are you? I could do with a little bit of a holiday, but it's just starting to ramp up really with the stalk stuff. So um, yeah, I'm in my busy season now. So I'll get some downtime yeah. later in the year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can sleep in autumn, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so Lucy, tell us just a little bit before we get into the White Stork Project, a little bit about your background. Uh, yes, yeah, so my background, I mean, I've always been interested in animals in general, always wanted to work with animals. Um, I went to university at a slightly later age. They said I was a mature student, but I was only 25. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I did animal behaviour and welfare at university. Um, and ended up working in a zoo, which is is what I had wanted to do. Um, I left there a few years ago to pursue a a career in sort of active conservation, actually out in the field. I became self-employed and was, you know, I'm I'm a conservation biologist, so doing lots of projects with lots of different species um, and running, um, I'm a safari guide at the Net Rewilding Project, which is kind of how I ended up in with the Stork Project. Yeah, yeah. So pretty um, varied career up to now then. Yes, yeah, really varied. And, you know, whilst at uni doing boring things like working in a in an office um, just to help pay the bills. But um, yes, yeah, so quite varied, uh, do lots of different things from the science and the research through to the public engagement and looking after the animals themselves. So, yeah, really varied. And I think that's what I love about it so much. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Really nice uh, life to have. But you you ended up in, I guess, the perfect place at the perfect time to get involved with this exciting project, the White Stork Project. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Right place, right time. And uh, and everything else kind of lined up as well with, you know, additional partners becoming involved in the project. So Doral Wildlife became involved um, not long before I did. And obviously I work for them. Um, so yeah they came into the project to help with the coordination um, and to do the post-release monitoring and they were looking for someone who could do all of those things including the public engagement and uh, the ecologist at NET put me forward and the rest is history as they say. Yeah you you ticked every box. (laughs) Yes yeah yeah they've they've kind of struggled really to sort of work out you know what box I fit into because I do so many different things but it's my experience over the years of different jobs and different work experience and lots of volunteering has really rounded out my skill set so that I can kind of fit into most things. Brilliant, brilliant. So um, 
for anyone that doesn't know, you know, what is the White Stork Project? Um, what, what's going on? What's happening? Why is it so exciting? So the White Stork Project is a partnership of private landowners and conservation uh, charities. And they're working together to restore a population of white storks in the south of England by 2030. And storks haven't been breeding in this country for at least 600 years. That's the last kind of concrete evidence we've got of them breeding here. But they would have been, um, you know, regular visitors. And we've got place names that mean that, you know, that refer back to storks. They would have been quite noticeable. People would have seen them lots and they would have been here. Um, but we lost them through uh, persecution and lots of other things as well. Um, so, yeah, bringing them back is quite a big, a big step. And it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, it's brilliant. And um, who, who is involved? Like you said, it's some private landowners. I know that the Nepri Wilding Estate are kind of pioneering on it, but there's some other organisations involved as well, right? Yeah, so NEP um, kind of came up with the idea of, of reintroducing the white storks, looking at different species that we could reintroduce. Uh, so they kind of pioneered it and they are the nucleus for, for the project. We've got two other landowners here in the, the southeast. Um, so we've got uh, Wadhurst Park in East Sussex and Wintershaw, which is in Surrey. So they're another two uh, release sites and sites but where we've got resident storks. Uh, we've and they're, also, uh, they're not too far as the stork flies, no, are they? not too far at all. And that's the idea. It's to have kind of a hub uh, here in the southeast. Um, the idea of having those static birds is that they act like a magnet for any that might be flying over. So we get about yeah. 20 or 30 vagrants from Europe every year, um, but they don't necessarily stay to breed. So that's that's the idea of having those here. So the other partners, yeah. we've got um, obviously Durrell from my point of view, all the public engagement, all the post-release monitoring, so the GPS tagging, ringing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and hopefully in the future we'll be starting up a, stalk schools program so we'll be actually going to local schools in the area and teaching them about it as well which would be great um and then we've got Cotswold Wildlife Park who run our captive breeding side of things they help us with all the husbandry for the the birds that we have at the site but they also have 25 breeding pairs who uh, produce chicks every year which uh, from last year was the first year we did it they come to net uh, once they're fully fledged and we release them here at net and they become our migratory population um, Brilliant. We've also got Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation. So most people uh, will probably know them for their work with ospreys and also most recently the white-tailed eagles um, uh, on the Isle of Wight. So they've got a lot of experience with releasing uh, species and recovering species uh, back to the UK. So, yeah, it's a fantastic team of people. Great. It sounds brilliant. Great to see so much collaboration as well, you know, um, in trying to trying to bring back a species. Yeah, it really needs it as well. That's the thing. You you need everybody to be uh, working together to get these these things to work. So it, it's it's a really good team. Definitely, definitely. Now going back to basics, I think most people will be aware of um, white storks because they're a bird of uh, pretty famous folklore tale. Uh, yes. <laughs> bringing bringing babies, right? Yep. <laughs> Do you have any idea where that? myth so, came from uh, yeah so the the folklore of of storks bringing babies actually harks back to europe um during sort of medieval times when people would wed during the summer solstice um and at that time we'd have plenty of storks about at the same time but later in the year they'd be heading off on migration 
returning about nine months later when quite a few babies would be turning up as well so that's kind of where uh-huh. where that comes from but they're I mean they're, they're throughout history with fables and and stories and folklore so they are kind of woven in, into our history yeah yeah I never actually and yeah I never looked into that what the what the um, origin of that story was it's good to know yeah. um cool now I have heard from a couple of people you know uh mislabeling over the years a, a grey heron is like a, it's a stork or it's a crane or you know yeah. um, a white stork is a very very recognizable bird you're not going to confuse it with a grey heron or even a crane um can you just describe what kind of what it, what it looks like kind of size of it um yeah. you know what it what it does yeah um yes yeah, so we actually get quite a lot of people um it's been great lots of people sending in sightings but every now and then you do get a heron or you get a, a little egret or a cattle egret coming through yeah um yeah, yeah so um a white stalk uh, a, a bit larger than a heron so they stand about a meter tall uh, about one and a half to two meter wingspan so if you see them flying you instantly think wow what what is that i don't recognize big that bird, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah big bird yeah. And they've got very long legs, um, red legs, red bill, white feathers, but they've got black um, primary feathers on their wings. So they've got black tips to their wings. They're quite a striking um, and magnificent looking bird. And yeah, if you see them flying, you definitely know it's not something you've seen before. No, no, absolutely huge. And they're not tied to water like the grey heron would be more kind of aquatic, you know, rivers and and marshes and things. They'll be out in fields foraging and stuff as well, won't they? Yeah, yeah. So they are, they like wet grassland, but not necessarily stalking and and wading through the water such as a heron does. Um, They eat slightly different food, although they're quite opportunistic. But yeah, open fields, uh, grasslands, especially areas that are periodically flooded. So um, floodplains, marshes, things like that they quite like. Um, anywhere really that's not got too too much water or too many trees, they don't really like forested areas or, or woodland. Um, but okay. yeah, so they, they will be stalking through long grassland and, and picking up insects mainly, that is their main source of food, um, picking up grasshoppers, crickets and, and things like that. But if they disturb anything else along the way, they will pick it up. They'll take small mammals, reptiles, amphibians. They will hunt for fish as well. Um, They prefer not to have too much wet food, so um, not too many frogs and things. But, uh, yeah, so that's what they're they're doing. They're out there sort of exploring those grasslands uh, more, more so than the ponds and the lakes. Yeah, so the habitat at NEP with that kind of like open grassland scrub and, and regenerating woodland and things, but lots of open habitat created by the herbivores there is perfect for yeah. them, right? Yeah, absolutely perfect for them. Um, it's it's a fantastic uh, sort of dynamic bit of landscape, which has got changing habitats in it and lots of variation, which is great for the storks. Um, and actually, one of the fields where we've got a nest this year, um, it's, it's one of our more open fields. And as you walk through it at the moment, there's just hundreds of baby grasshoppers and, and crickets just jumping out of your way as you're walking through the grass. So they it's a really good spot to be able to find food for, for the babies and stuff. So um, I was, yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and uh, she said she was down to visit and she said she just could not get over everywhere you walked. There was just like clouds of little uh, grasshoppers and bush crickets like coming up from your feet yeah yeah it's unbelievable I've tried to record it on my phone but my camera doesn't quite pick them up as as much as you can see them when you're walking but 
I saw, yeah, I saw a slow-mo, a slow-mo video of them bouncing out of the grass. It was amazing. I know, it's just unbelievable. And you think, you know, as the summer goes on, those are going to get bigger and provide better food for those stalks. And there's just, because there's no pesticides or herbicides or anything being put on the land, there's just an abundance of of invertebrate life, which which is fantastic for the stalks. Yeah, the base of the of the food chain, yeah. all those invertebrates for lots and lots of creatures down there. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so they they you said they don't they don't like forest or they they don't like too many trees, but they do like trees because they'll nest in the top of trees, isn't that yeah. right? Yeah, they do. So they they don't sort of go into woodland, unlike their cousins, the black stalks, who are, are more of a woodland forest species. They like to be in in cover. The white stalks like open areas, but they nest really high up. And across Europe, they use buildings, telegraph poles, um, electricity pylons, and just any sort of man-made structure they can find. But historically, especially here in the UK, trees would have been one of the main sites, and it's what we're seeing at NET. They're they're finding these lovely, great old oaks, and they're using those to to build their nests in, which is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of another kind of iconic thing about the white stork is the massive big piles of twigs um, that they use to make their nests on top of chimneys and things in Spain and Portugal if you go over you see them quite frequently in the countryside don't you yeah yeah they are um you know and they, they like to nest colonially as well so you don't just find one you'll find lots of them um and yeah, yeah huge pile of, of sticks and twigs they're really shaggy untidy looking nests they're very big yeah. though they're very robust and actually they will use the same nest every single year as well so it will be constantly being repaired and built on. And some of them can be, you know, two meters deep because they've just year on year built on top of them. And some of the nests in in sort of areas of Poland and that are hundreds of years old. Um, They've just been used over generations by different storks, which is is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Now, I heard that, you know, people who have a stork nesting on their house or buildings or whatever, um, find them to be a symbol of good luck. So why why in this country did they go extinct? Was it was it human persecution or yeah, what factors can play a role? Yeah, there's a few theories behind it. And and one of the pieces of information that um, Isabella Tree uh, at NEP has, has discovered is that actually during the Civil War, they were seen as a sign of rebellion. And uh, so oh. they, were, they were taken on as a symbol for the, for the rebels and um, they're, they're a sign of rebirth and hope and rebellion. And they were actually kind of stamped out because of that symbol of re- rebellion. So a lot of persecution happened over the centuries. Nest would have been pulled down and destroyed and, and hunting as well. And they appeared on, you know, menus of banquets and, and things. So they were quite, uh, eat, you know, they were killed for food as well. But yeah, persecution is one of one of the biggest things for them, especially here in the UK. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, hopefully you guys are going to reverse that and uh, give yeah. them some positive PR. Well, they've been getting lots of positive PR I've seen in the last few weeks. They have. They're there's... kind of doing it themselves for us, yeah. really. It's been fantastic. But yeah. There's and, a, yeah. a lot of excitement around them at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> huge excitement. And that has spread not just here in the UK, but actually internationally as well. And I I had a, a film crew from Poland come a couple of weeks ago. And they did a piece wow. about them. And the Polish lady who, you know, she lives in the UK, but she does um, sort of politics interviews and stuff from, from the UK into one of the Polish programmes. It's uh, the equivalent of, of Good Morning Britain, but in Poland. 
And she yeah. was so excited to see the storks just because it felt like home. And she was I was going to say, remind her of home. Yeah, yeah, so excited from the moment she saw one. And she said, you know, it is actually, if you have a nest on your roof, it is such a good sign of, of good luck and prosperity. And if you don't have a stork nest on your roof in a village and everybody else does, it means that there's something wrong with your family. That's what she said. She said, there's something wrong with your family. Um, so it, oh, it's wow. kind of completely woven into their culture out there, which is fantastic. But yeah, yeah. amazing to have her here um, and just be so excited about it. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, before we get to the, the you know, mega exciting part <laughs> and what's been happening in the last few weeks, let's rewind the clock a little bit and talk about how this project actually works because it's been, you know, Year, several years in the making obviously and there's um, different kind of components to it in terms of the yeah. stork populations that are involved and things can you just talk us through like how how it started and what the different kind of phases were of the project yeah sure yeah it, I've kind of managed to get it into some kind of uh, sort of different phases so that it's easier to understand because it can be yeah. quite complicated like say lots of different steps so we're actually using methodology from a Swedish project um and they were running in the 80s uh, and they run they ran for sort of 30 odd years getting stalks back into into sweden um and we've used their sort of principles and added a, a few along the way so we've kind of learned from all the different projects so the project started in 2016 and the first phase of the project is to establish these uh, static resident populations so these are actually made up of storks that were injured in the wild and uh, these guys were injured in the wild in Poland and across Poland uh, storks uh, get hit on telegraph wires and electricity pylons that kind of thing or hit on roads and they are taken to Warsaw Zoo to be rehabilitated and then Warsaw Zoo once they're rehabilitated they release the ones that can be re-released and find homes for the others and a lot of the birds uh, actually end up having bits of wing amputated and cannot be re-released into the wild and these are long-lived birds they'll live up to 30 if not more in captivity so these guys wow. needed yeah. somewhere to go and we were looking for a source of, of storks so we brought some over to the UK and we've got uh, we've, we've brought over sort of over 100 over the last couple of years and we established these sort of static populations so these are our birds that cannot fly and they live at these three sites. So we've got Nep, Wadhurst and Wintershaw. And they've each got a lovely big six acre enclosure with predator proof fencing around it. Because obviously these guys can't get away from them. And yeah. they've got a range of habitat in that six acre enclosure. And they act like a magnet for any wild white stalks that might be flying over. So they're essentially kind of semi-captive birds, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So living out their days. <laughs> yeah, basically. So most of them were were juveniles when we got them. So they're just coming out to about four or five, so just reaching breeding age now. And they are in these enclosures. So we supplementary feed them because obviously they can't get out to feed themselves, but they do supplement that feeding with whatever they find in the large enclosure as well. It's got a stream running through it and it's got a lovely wetland it's got paddocks it's got really lovely long grassland so it's got a nice diversity of habitat in there and within... I, I can attest to that having yeah. visited a few times it's, yeah, it's... it's luxury digs for storks let's put it that way it's lovely I know it's been kind of my little oasis um <laughs> during all the busy times it's the one yeah. one area that you know you can't really get to to see so it's it's been quite nice and quiet for me um yeah and for the storks 
but yeah, so uh, within about two months of having the storks there, so early 2017, we had two wild white storks land in the pen. So that magnet, having those populations there, it really does work. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the base of, of the project. And then the second phase is to have some resident population that can actually fly. So again, these are rehabilitated birds, but these are ones that do actually still have the ability to fly. And we hold them at a site uh, for two winters. So keeping them there for two winters means that they actually imprint on that uh, area. So they may go and explore and they might, you know, travel around the country a little bit, but they will return. And we have seen that happening as well. So early on in the project, one of our our early birds, uh, she actually flew down to um, Brittany and then returned a year later. And she's one of our breeding females this year oh, wow. so she was the first one to to prove that they can cross the channel and that they will cross the channel so that's fantastic so yeah, yeah we we used to do this by a process of wing clipping so um that just takes off uh, so you just use a pair of scissors to cut some of the feathers on one wing which just puts them off balance it doesn't hurt the bird at all once the feathers are fully grown they're essentially dead so it doesn't hurt them anyway and it just pops them off balance so that they can't fly um, but we found that they were actually molting their feathers quite a lot quicker than we were told they would. So we, in, in the end, we built some really lovely large netted aviaries so that they could still use their wings, they could still fly about a bit, um, and that they would be nice and safe. So yeah, yeah, all of those birds are now free flying. So all of them from each of the site, uh, sites are now free flying. So at NEP at the moment, we've got about 20 birds who are, are free flying, but are resident and they'll overwinter with us at those sites um, and then the third phase is that migratory population which I mentioned a little bit earlier but that was um, our captive bred juveniles so they come from Cotswolds um, where they breed them as soon as they've fledged from there they come uh, to us at NEP we're using NEP as the hub for this for the releases they stay with us for a couple of weeks and then we we release them and because they are juveniles in the wild, as soon as they get to that sort of age, sort of late summer after they've hatched, they will go on their first migration. So they will head south on their migration. Just so their, their instinct kicks yeah. in then, doesn't it? And, yeah. and kind of takes them off on their migratory route. It's yeah. quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's fantastic. And it was amazing to see. I mean, last year was the first year we did it. Um, so all of the birds are wearing rings so that we can identify them, but also eight of them were wearing GPS tags. And we're working alongside um, a, a group of people from the University of East Anglia who have been using these tags to monitor populations in Portugal who are actually now living more residentially and not migrating. So they've been using them there to see how they're behaving. Um, yeah. But it's the first time we've used them here in the UK and it was very much a trial year. And because of the lack of sunshine compared to Portugal, we had a couple of tags fail really early on, which is a real shame. Um, because they're solar powered yeah, aren't they? yeah so the batteries have got um a little solar power panel on them which keeps the battery topped up and yeah. uh, we had a few days of cloud before we released them and yeah a couple of the tags because we decided to to see what kind of frequencies worked best how often it was sending data uh, and things like that we, we had them all programmed slightly differently um, mm. some some are still working and some didn't work so at least we know this year what works and what doesn't um but yeah, yeah 22 out of 24 of them actually crossed the channel 
uh, in uh, September uh, last year. Yeah. And we've got a number of them across Europe. And one of them even made it all the way down to Morocco. And yeah, so she's our first bird to actually fully migrate, migrate across the Strait of Gibraltar. And she overwintered in Morocco, which is amazing. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what we can do with technology now and find out exactly where they're going and, and what routes they take and everything. Yeah, Brilliant. fantastic. And these these um, data the loggers that are on their backs not only tell us their location, but actually will tell us where they're going, how high they're flying, what speed they're flying at, when they're foraging, when they're resting. It, so it, it gives us a whole host of data uh, that we will be working with, with the UEA to, to actually sort of look at that data, analyse it and see what it's going to tell us. And, and we'll be doing that each year for each release. Um, so hopefully at the end of the five year releases, we'll, we'll have a, a really solid set of data um, to, to use to, to see how these guys have been doing in the wild. Amazing, amazing. And then I suppose after your, you know, your kind of your injured birds that are going to be resident there for, for the rest of their lives, I suppose, your free flying UK ones, yeah. uh, your UK ones that are migrating, then you're attracting in um wild storks as well yeah and um i was there this time last year or actually may last year it was my birthday weekend and um it was the first time you'd had a pair uh attempt to nest on their own in a tree like, like yeah. a, one of those was wild right one of those was a migratory bird yeah yeah so um that was amazing last year they kind of beat us to it really we weren't expecting them to nest quite this soon in the project um because of the age of all the birds but yeah they decided that uh, they were going to pair up so the female, <laughs> female is one of ours and um, so she's one from really early on in the project and she's been free flying around Sussex for the last couple of years and then last year she managed to find herself a mate we don't quite know where she picked him up from um but yeah he's not she wearing brought a boy to the yard yeah yeah, yeah. so she's not, he's not wearing any rings at all so it's, although it's really difficult to tell for certain where he's from, it is highly likely that he is from Europe um, and, and is a wild white stork and has, has come to spend time with us, which is great. Brilliant. Well, I, I was very privileged. We were looking. I had a group down there from Ealing Wildlife Group. We went down for the weekend and um, we were looking at the white storks, you know, soaring around on their thermals and things. And we were very lucky, actually. I, I spotted a bird and I thought, that's not a white stork. <laughs> and it was actually a black stork um, soaring around. And it was later seen um, flying over one of the pens. I think someone did get a good picture of it. Yeah. I got some pictures of it very high in the sky, but you could tell it was like almost the reverse pattern of black and white to the white storks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're extremely rare, only a handful in, in Britain each year. Isn't that right? Yeah, really rare. Yeah. So we've had one who's kind of visited net last couple of years um but yeah really rare to be seen in the uk so yeah you're very yeah. lucky to see it i don't think i was here to see it so um yeah i think i i was away on holiday that week and <laughs> it was a bit of a shame but never mind i, I think I was, I was in scoma looking at puffins so i can't really complain okay, well, swings and swings and roundabouts yeah, right yeah. <laughs> i think i was um very much like kind of humble brag territory because i was one of the first ones that day to see it and yeah. i i told one of the um campsite managers there what I'd seen and she was like what no way <laughs> and then later later it showed up in one of the stork pens so I was like I told you yeah. I told you um <laughs> but the other thing that we saw there was which was fantastic like from the campsite we could see that pair um of white storks on their nest yeah. giving it th their first go basically yeah. but um 
that that didn't end in uh, success that that attempt to do it um well not really but i mean we as from the project point of view we we still class as it as a success it was the first yeah, wild so. white stork nest in the uk for so long so it was a huge huge deal when we watched with bated breath and yeah, they laid eggs. They had three eggs and we all got very, very excited. And, you know, we were camping out down there, keeping an eye on them. And a few days before they were due to hatch, both the parents just got up and left the nest. Um, so oh. uh, we think actually that because the female was just under the normal breeding age, that the eggs were infertile. So although she was going, they, they went through the motions and they did everything that they needed to do. And they, they did a fantastic job of incubating and all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't meant to be last year, but they are yeah. back this year and um, they have decided to, to move nests, which is not, it's not unusual. I mean, like I say, normally they would return to the same nest every year. Uh, but is this the same pair as last year? Exactly the same pair from last year. Yeah. So it's the same right. female and the same unringed male, as far as we're aware anyway, unless she's found another unringed male on her, on her journey. Um, yeah. But um they decided that they would actually shift uh, their nest to another area, which apparently is not unusual if they have a failure for any reason, whereas normally yeah. they would use that same nest each year. So, yeah, I mean, over the winter, we decided, right, that's it. They're, they're, they're probably going to try again. Let's get a camera up in the nest. And then they decided to nest elsewhere, which is, is typical. Uh, working with wildlife and trying giving, to... Get, giving you the run around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so yeah but they've they've done really really well this year they've done everything they needed to do they had five eggs this year and they successfully hatched three chicks and they are growing fantastically and the parents have been doing a great job brilliant brilliant did was i right in thinking there was two nests but just one has hatched chicks this year so we've got uh, so we had three nests at the beginning of the season um and one nest um, is another new pair, but they they went through the motions but didn't lay any eggs and didn't get any further. So that nest isn't being used anymore. Um, okay. The the second uh, nest we got was was our pair from last year. So they've obviously done really well with their three chicks. And we have a, another nest uh, which has got um, a chick in it. So um, they laid four eggs and hatched three chicks, but actually only one of them has has survived so far. Uh, and again, they are a brand new young couple for this year. So again, first time parents, not unusual for them to lose a chick along the way. Um, yeah. the, the remaining chick is growing really fast now that he's getting all the food. So yeah, they're doing yeah. really well. <laughs> no competition from siblings. That's no. pretty good. An only child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, brilliant. So four chicks in two nests. Yeah. So that's a massive success for for this year then. Huge success. Yeah. Very, very exciting. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been busy season, sort of keeping an eye on them, um, checking on, you know, the nest, monitoring the nests and monitoring all the stalks at net, um, especially through lockdown. I mean, luckily I, I'm on the doorstep, so I've been able to carry on going out. But uh, my my lovely volunteers who do so much for me and so much for the project and are such advocates of the project uh, weren't able to come down because obviously everything was in lockdown so they've they've come back over the last two weeks and and they're thrilled to be back um, and thrilled to Brilliant. be able to see the baby stalk great great so yeah you've obviously been kept very very busy then i <laughs> have yeah, yeah i've been busy 
doing it all doing it all really and and making sure that I'm documenting it all and I've been through throughout lockdown with emailing updates out to all the volunteers all the time so that they felt like they were here so yeah good on you good on you and it's attracted we talked about it a little bit earlier but it's attracted a lot of media attention I think at this point in time people need a good news story and this is it isn't it yeah yeah they they have been so popular and all of the media got on board with it really early on and it's been such a nice positive and a, a good news story it's it's a story of hope and I think it, we really really needed it at, at the same time as it was all happening and and I know that Isabella at, at NEP she kind of thinks that the stalks have kind of mirrored our uh, processes through lockdown really you know they they start they laid their eggs just as we went into lockdown and they're now due to fledge just as sort of things are, are coming out and being relaxed so um but yeah such a huge story and it, it's just been wonderful to watch and, and wonderful to see how popular they've been with everybody across the whole country um the feedback we've had has just been unbelievable yeah, I bet. I've heard a few people have gone down and visited, but it's been very busy uh, with visitors down there since they've hatched, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been absolutely manic busy, really. it's It's been lovely to have so many people coming to see the storks and coming to visit NET, but it, it has been quite busy. And, and yeah, I it's been very busy in the village as well. And um, yeah, lots of people about I think we, we clocked nearly sort of 2,000 people over the last few weeks going out past the nest. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the storks, handily, they built their nest over the top of one of the footpaths. So <laughs> you can't miss them from the footpath. Brilliant. And this is the thing with them. They're not they're not shy of humans. They're, they're traditionally around human activity anyway, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, the white storks were chosen, not just for their history here in the UK, but with because of their close association with people. And, you know, we're not just talking about rewilding habitats, but also rewilding people as well. And getting them interested, getting people interested that might not have been interested before. And the storks are such a, a charismatic species that, like we said earlier, they're really recognisable. And it really does spark something in people. There's just something about them uh, that, that people absolutely love and that is great for us it, it's fantastic for the project it raises awareness for other things and we can use the storks as an umbrella species or a flagship species to help everything else within within an ecosystem as well but using the storks as, as kind of you know the, the sexy uh, poster child for for it all. Yeah. yeah I was yeah I was just gonna say like they're a fantastic ambassador for yeah. rewilding and yeah. also a good model really on you know, how alternative uses of land can be still bring in, you know, income to a rural economy and, and things like that. So yeah. um, it's fantastic that the whole village surrounding, you know, has has benefited from it as yeah, well. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and you know, just, just from NEP itself as well, I mean, we've got local pubs here that, you know, under normal circumstances would be doing really, really well from the extra people around. Obviously, at the moment, it's still a bit tricky with, you know, what we can and we can't do. Yeah. but. It, it's been fantastic to have you know so many people about and so many people getting on board with it and I've definitely noticed from my point of view from collating sightings and, and things like that that come through via Twitter and email you know I'm getting so many more coming in now from people around the country who might have spotted a stalk or it might have been a heron but 
it's somebody that perhaps wouldn't still, have paid attention before, but they got so excited. Yeah, yeah, people are interested, yeah. which is is one of the key things with the project. Brilliant, brilliant. Now we were um, kind of trying to decide if we were going to record uh, now because uh, something very exciting happened this week, which was weather dependent, yeah. and it happened yesterday. <laughs> what ha- what happened yesterday? So yesterday was uh, a really exciting slightly stressful day um but uh, yeah yesterday we got a cherry picker out at net and a tree climber down and we got up into our stork nest and we ringed our three chicks which is great so yeah we got up there got them down onto the ground um we've managed to put our rings on them so they all of our birds are, are tagged um are ringed with a, a silver bto ring so british trust for ornithology ring which means no matter where around the world they're found or spotted uh, they can be traced back to us and then also a yep. project ring uh, which is is a big blue ring which starts with gb and then it has a letter or a number combination uh, and that identifies the individual um and and that it's part of our project and they're quite easily seen through binoculars or through a scope i was going to say it's yeah. visible like if you're watching them through a scope yeah. or binoculars yeah. so people could read it and report it back right? yeah which is great and that's what we're asking people to do you know m- massive citizen science kind of call out to people to to report sightings of, of the stalks um which is, is what these rings help with but yeah so the three chicks are really healthy they're really big uh, slightly stinky uh, from being up in that nest are they? um but uh, yeah and the the ground below the below the tree has got quite a quite a lot of uh poop and stuff underneath so you, you can't miss the stalks that's for sure um but yeah it's fantastic to get the stalks down the chicks down and, and actually get my hands on them after so much excitement about it i've I've barely slept last night. I was still buzzing from it. So I bet uh, adrenaline yeah, uh, yeah. rush. Yeah. And what were they like to handle? Are they do they kind of um, just hunker down and, and really quiet, or are they fairly lively? Yeah. No, they they're really chilled out. And and one of their defences actually, especially up in the nest, is to actually play dead. Um. So they'll oh, just right. they'll just flop down and they won't move. So you, you pick them up, the necks all floppy and, and stuff. But, you know, we've got them on the ground below the tree on, on a towel whilst we're doing the ringing and taking measurements and all that kind of stuff. And they're just really chilled out. They're just laying there, just looking at you, checking you out and sort of almost like, I'm just going to pretend that you're not here and just wait for you to put me back <laughs> and just yeah, pretend yeah. none of this is happening. Um, get, yeah. get me back. 15 yeah. metres above ground, is it? Yeah, about 15 metres yeah. off a tree. So, yeah, um, I don't have such a head for heights. So we, we have a, a climber who went, went up <laughs> and did that. And our, our I... ringer, bless him, he, he loves he loves coming and getting involved, but he doesn't do heights either. So it was like, we need to find someone who can come and get say, them down. Yeah. I think I'd prefer to be on the ground team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> w- watching the cherry picker go up and, and stuff. There was a few of us that were sort of looking from the ground. Just, yeah. oh my goodness, we wouldn't want to be up there. <laughs> yeah. And um, were the parents like too put off or annoyed no. or circling around? Or no, so it, they're quite chilled out, really. I mean, uh, one of the bonuses from from having so many people about over the last few weeks is that they've they've just got completely used to people um, yeah. being there. So we were milling about beneath the tree, getting ourselves organised, and they just sat on the tree, just looking at us, watching and waiting. And it wasn't until we started to go up in the cherry picker that they decided that they were going to fly off. But I've, I had volunteers kind of stationed around the, the the field, and they could actually see them. They'd landed in in one of the neighbouring fields. 
Uh, and it wasn't long after we withdrew that they came back. So yeah, they they really weren't weren't bothered at all. Yeah, but it's a it's a worthwhile disturbance in terms of like it's crucial, really, isn't it, for yeah. the success of the project that you have to do that and that you have to. Um, hopefully be able to record where these birds are going yeah. throughout their lives really yeah, yeah it is it's, it's really well worth doing and it's such a, a short period of time of disturbance that you know and at this stage the parents are so invested in those chicks that, that they're not going to abandon them and yeah. um yeah for us the, the data and and being able to monitor these birds uh, as they go on um is really really essential for the project um and yeah just fascinating as well to it'd be interesting to see where they go and what they do yeah absolutely now so one of the one of the things you want to highlight i suppose on this um episode is if people do see a white stork you really want them to report it right yeah yeah we do so yeah we've we've got storks kind of milling around the southeast and and we had one up in norfolk recently and, and we know that because of the sightings that have been coming in so if you do see a white stalk, even if you don't manage to see if it has a ring on it or not, it's really, really crucial and amazing for us if you could report uh, those sightings. So you can do that through our website. You can also do it through Twitter as well. But through the website uh, is a bit better. We've got a form on there. You can fill that out and it, it asks you all the information that is, is really um, great for us to have. And even better, if you manage to snap a picture or, you know, get a good look at a ring, if it's got a ring on, um, telling us, you know, what the ring number is, where you saw it, what time you saw it. And, and if you want to give us a little bit of uh, information about what it was up to, all the better. Yeah, brilliant. I'm looking at it now. So it's whitestorkproject.org. Yes. And uh, there's a report a sighting page on there. So the ring is a, a blue ring. Um gb and then letter number on the upper left leg of the bird isn't that right yeah yeah so upper left leg for the big blue project ring and then they'll have a silver ring on their lower right leg great little little bit of jewelry yes a little bit of bling <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah, that's a, a few people said yesterday oh the, are the parents going to be worried about you know the rings on on the chicks and they probably won't pay that much attention but yeah just just a little bit of bling for, for the chicks <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Well, look, um, it's it's amazing to hear the progress just in a space of four years as well, I think is really um, a brilliant testament to the dedication of the whole team and everyone involved, um, you know, going forward. Um, what about the future then? What does the future hold? Are you, are you thinking next year you want to have a certain number of nests and chicks and um, you know, what are the targets? I think you mentioned one the target of the entire project is to have a, a sustainable or self-sustaining yeah. population by what year? 2030 is, is kind of the the aim. I mean, the projects in other countries have taken 25, 30 years to actually establish a, a resident breeding self-sustaining population. Uh, so that's yeah. kind of what we're looking at. 50 pairs by 2030 is, is kind of the, the goal. Um, I mean, going forward, we're, we're going to be doing these releases of juveniles. Uh, it's, it's over a five-year period. So first year was last year. So for the next four years, we'll be doing more of those juvenile releases. Um, those juveniles don't come back in their first, second, or sometimes they'll come back in their third or fourth years. They'll return to where they hatched uh, and start breeding. So the ones that we released last year, we won't see for a little bit yet. So and they don't breed until they're four, four to six years old. So it's, it's quite a long uh, process yeah. to, to get them kind of coming back and, and breeding. Um, and like I say, yeah, they live up to 30 years. 
so we're, we're in it for the long haul, really. Um, we'll be doing more of these uh, juvenile releases and, and monitoring these nests. We, had, we were kind of having a little bit of a, uh, we were going to have a bit of a sweepstake between the volunteers. They were all betting last night on how many uh, chicks we're going to have next year and how many nests we're going to have. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I would just be pleased if we have another two next year, to be honest. Um, but yeah, yeah e- every extra nest is, is a bonus from, from my point yeah. of view. And are you still bringing in um, the kind of semi-captive birds, the injured birds, or is that finished now? No, so that's finished now. So we won't be bringing any more uh, from Poland. So the last lot was uh, last year. Yeah, last year, early last year was the last batch of those that we had come in. So from now yeah. on, any of the birds that we, we've got will be captive bred or, or bred here at, at NET for, or from our release sites where they've got the static yeah. populations. Yeah. or turning up from Europe <laughs> or, or turning up from Europe and, and joining our population yeah it'd be interesting to yeah. see when our juveniles come back whether they bring any extras with them so yeah I'm sure they will I'm sure they will yeah. brilliant so um for anyone listening is NEP open can people come and see them yeah so NEP is open uh as we said earlier it's, it's quite busy and um, what we're kind of suggesting to people is that perhaps not come at a weekend perhaps come during the week the weekends are, are very busy at the moment um yeah. and we're asking people to make sure that they park in the, the allotted car parking areas and not on the the lanes and, and the streets around the villages um there's a, a a sort of a donation for for the car park um and yeah you can see the stalks on the white route uh, aptly named it was already the white route before the stalks nested on it so uh, that's good um and yeah come come and see all of the uh, lovely wildlife that we've we've got at net great it's a fantastic place i've definitely missed my uh, annual spring trip to hear the nightingales and cuckoos and everything yeah it and is. Turtle, turtle yeah we've, we've the turtle doves have been fantastic this year so far and so were the nightingales and I think one of the things, especially, you know, kind of slightly selfishly living on the doorstep, it was lovely during lockdown. It was so quiet and we kind of had Have to play to ourselves. Yeah, it was really lovely. Um, You're making me jealous now. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was our allotted hour every, every day to, to go and have a wonder. So, yeah, we were very lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm green with envy. <laughs> Well, look, um, how can people help? So you want people to report a sighting, obviously, but um, you also there's donations, uh, a donation page yeah. on the site. Yeah, so yeah, sightings and yeah, we, we've got a donation page. So um, the donations that come in help to look after our resident stalks. That's at, at all three sites, but also help us with the monitoring going forward as well. So this year we've been able to, to acquire another eight GPS tags through, through our Just Giving page. Um, so yeah, any any donation, small or large, is fantastic and will help us continue to to work towards getting these guys back here in the UK. Yeah, brilliant. I was thinking when you were describing what the GPS tags do that those must not come cheap. <laughs> no, no, they're they're roughly a thousand pounds per per tag. Um, wow. So, okay. Yeah, it's they're they're quite a, a bit of kit um, and obviously invaluable for us for the data, but it obviously does mean that. Uh, we can only um, deploy so many of them each year. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, great. Okay, well, look, it has been amazing hearing all about it. And um, congrats to everyone involved. Thank you. And, um, you know, I hope that you do manage to get some sleep soon. <laughs> yes, we <you> do. <laughs> Before you go, Lucy, I'm asking most people who come on the, the podcast 
um, to recommend a few social media accounts that would be good to follow if they've enjoyed this episode, maybe around NEP or rewilding or storks in general. Do you have any in mind? Um, so I would suggest that following Charlie Burrell uh, at NEP, so I think he's at, at NEP Castle, um, Penny Green, our ecologist, so she's uh, Sussex Emerald on Twitter. She's fantastic. You get to see all of her ringing and all of the surveys and stuff that they're doing at NEP. Um, and then all oh, White Stork Way. Um, there's quite a lot of projects running around Europe, actually, with the White Storks. Um, so I think um, one of the best ones is uh, White Stork Watching. Um, I think I've got that right. I might not have. Um, but that's you can see the projects from, from Portugal and all of their tagging data and, and looking at their fantastic uh, graphics and stuff that they do with the, the tag data to see where the storks are going. Brilliant. That's great suggestions. I uh, I follow Charlie and Penny, all right, but I'm going to have a look at the white stork one myself. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right, well, Lucy, thank you so much for spending the time talking to us. It's been really fascinating to hear. Uh, I, you know, have been, been to NEP loads of times. I go try and go a couple of times a year and I saw them in the pen and I've heard them bill clapping and then I was delighted to see they were nesting last year. But I'm absolutely thrilled um, that it's been so successful this year with uh, four chicks in nests. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great, Fantastic. really promising. And I think, yeah, they're just a really great kind of ambassador for the rewilding movement and what can happen when kind of conservationists come together and collaborate on a big project like this. Yeah, yeah, they've it's been fantastic so far and it's it's just going to keep getting better, I think. But yeah, you're right. Uh, amazing to get lots of people working together. And it does just show what you can achieve if everybody sort of has, has the focus and, and works together, which is great. Yeah, great. All right. Well, thanks so much again. And um, yeah, good luck. Um, try try and get some Z's when you can. <laughs> thanks very much. Yeah, I will do. All right. Speak soon, Lucy. Yeah, lovely to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. You too. Thanks. Bye now. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast, um, thank you for listening and um, do subscribe. And if you could rate or review us on any of the platforms like Acast, Spotify and iTunes, that really helps uh, get us to a broader audience. And also, if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to donate a little uh, something to its ongoing costs, you can do so in the Patreon link in the podcast description. Over and out for me and I look forward to another episode very soon. Thank you.